The following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. Uh, this morning I'd like to take a, a little pastoral prerogative and not ask you to turn to Romans. We'll return there next week. But I want you to turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, and uh, on the back of your prayer guide, you'll find some notes, uh, very similar to the way they often appear in the bulletin on a Sunday morning. And so if you want to follow along and there's some blanks for you to fill in, you certainly can. Um, before, we, before we look at John chapter 4, I, I want to see if I can uh, share with you just a great burden of my heart and soul. Um, and I, and I want to try to communicate it to the best of my ability. And I'm, and I'm going to have to be much shorter than I would like to be. I would like to, I'd like to take an hour and a half or two hours with you, but rest easy. I'm not going to do that. Um, d- does anybody know by sheer numbers uh, what country of the world has the most number of people who do not profess Christ? By sheer numbers, the greatest mission field in the world is what country? Who, what would you guess if you didn't know? China. China's number one by sheer numbers. India is number two by sheer numbers. Who, who knows what number three is? It's the United States. So, so I, want you to just, I, just want, I want you to think that through. So we're not talking about percentages. There is a, there's a great percentage, not a great percentage, there's a greater percentage of Christians in the United States than many, many other countries. But by sheer numbers of the lost people, um, China is number one. Now their population is like 1.5 billion people. China, China has cities, cities, entire cities that you've never heard of that have more than 25 million people. You, you've never even heard of them. You know, it used to be you knew all the big cities, right? They were, it was New York City and Chicago and L.A. and Tokyo and London and you knew them. You knew all those were all the biggest cities in the world. And then pretty soon Mexico City made the list. There are dozens of cities in China of 25 million people or more. And you've never heard their names. And if you heard them, you couldn't pronounce them again. And they are full of people that don't know Jesus. India, second largest, has now exceeded a billion people. Second largest. And then... The United States of America, by the sheer number of lost people, is the third largest mission field in the world. I want you to wear that a little bit. I want you to, th- I want you to think about that just a little bit. It means a couple of things. It means that this is not the United States that you grew up in. Uh, I'm not going to go very far down this road, 
but I'm, I'm going to say it by, by purpose of illustration. What you see on the news every day, what you just witnessed with the confirmation of Kavanaugh, tells you this is not the United States that you grew up in. Now, it doesn't matter which side of that you're on. That's, that's not my point. My point is the process of the confirmation tells you this is not the United States that you grew up in. This is a United States in which uh, the third greatest number of lost people in the world reside. And many of those are not just lost. They, it's not that they don't know Christ. They don't want to know him, and they are actually have some hatred towards Christians. And I'm not trying to be divisive. I'm trying to paint the picture for you of why things are now different for us. Now, uh, here's the good news. The good news is that your New Testament should just come alive to you. Because the Christians of the New Testament era lived in a world that was dominated by the Romans, uh, the Roman government, and pagan religions, and they were the minority who were somewhat hated. So, so your New Testament should read like the front page of the newspaper every day. And what, what do we discover in the New Testament? We discover the life-changing power of the gospel. And so it, it doesn't change the gospel. It just means, it just means that the, the mindset of those of us who live here have to change. And this is what I mean by that. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you through John chapter 4, a very familiar passage. John chapter 4, the, the big bulk of it is the story of a woman that is not even named, we, when we get to heaven, we will find out the name of a woman that we call the woman at the well. Um, and uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, one of the, it's one of the longest recorded personal conversations of Jesus with just a singular person in all of the New Testament. Um, it's also, and I'm not even, we're not even going to talk about this today, it's also the longest recorded um, teaching of Jesus about worship. And the conversation that he has about worship, he has with a woman who doesn't know him yet. That's, a, that's interesting, isn't it? it was, he didn't, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not a conference for worship leaders where Jesus teaches it. He, he's, asked about, he's asked about it by a woman who wants to know some things. So um, here's what I want to do this morning. I'm just going to, I want to tell you ahead of time. My goal is that you would walk out of this room with a different mindset than you walked in. It's a lofty goal, actually, for, for 20 minutes, to do it in 20 minutes. Um, most people in the United States um, who have known the Lord for a length of time. Here, let's just do this. I want to just do this for myself. How many of you in this room have known the Lord 
You've given, from the time you gave your life to the Lord till now, that period of time, you've known the Lord for more than 50 years. Would you raise your hand? That's a good number. More than 40 years? More than 30? Okay, I'm going to stop there and do it the other way around. How many of you have known the Lord for less than five years? Okay, I think there were two. Okay, so the reason that I went through that is if you've known the Lord for a long period of time and you grew up in a different America, then you can have this mindset, and the mindset, I'm going to describe it this morning as church member. I'm a member. I'm a member of a church. Church member mindset. And what I'm going to do this morning out of John chapter 4 is I'm going to contrast that with missionary. A missionary mindset. They are not the same. Shall we do the story together? John chapter 4 The scripture says in verse 1, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself didn't baptize only his disciples, he left Judea and he departed again for Galilee. Okay, for those of you who are not familiar with the geography, Judea is in the south and Galilee is in the north. All right, uh, Judea is the province in which Jerusalem is in, and Bethlehem is in. They're they're down there in Judea, and then and then in the north, uh, you, you is Galilee, and then in between is Samaria. All right, now um, Samaritans are Jews, but they're not. Samar- Samaria is the place where Jews have uh, intermarried with non-Jews, Gentiles, and they, are, uh, they weren't supposed to do that by Jewish law. Uh, by by Moses' law, a Jew was only supposed to marry a Jew. And so they have violated Moses' law, and they've been ostracized by the Jewish community. And it's a, it's a very real prejudice that exists uh, and so they are, they are Samaritans. So but the, the Gentiles don't want them either. So they're not, they're not fully Jew. They're not fully Gentile. And so we would have maybe used a hundred years ago, we would have used this phrase maybe of a, of a white and an Indian marriage and their children. They would have been called half-breeds. Now you understand, I'm not using that as a racial slur. I'm trying... I'm trying to get you to feel who Samaritans are. Uh, good Jews uh, would not go to or through Samaria. They would, they would walk an extra uh, 50 miles to not go through that. Samaria is also like going through the bad part of town. You're in North L.A., you got to go down to San Diego. You don't just drive through Watts. Who would do that? You know, you don't go through... You don't go through the bad part of town. So, um, so the next verse, uh, and I'm reading from the ESV. It's not as good a translation as the Old King James. It says that, uh, I'm sorry, verse 4, it just says he had to pass through Samaria. And that makes it sound like, well, he just had to go that way. What we, what we really know is that Jesus was constrained by his spirit. That's why he had to do it. He, he says to the disciples, I, I must go through Samaria. 
And it's because he has a divine appointment there. That's, that's why he's going through Samaria. And he chooses that and he tells them. So it, it brings me to my very first point this morning. And I, remember, I'm, I'm creating a contrast for you between missionaries, the way a missionary sees the world as opposed to just regular old church member. Missionaries go places in order to see people. Jesus says, I've got to go to Samaria. Why? Because he's got to see the woman at the well. It's a divine appointment. He's waiting for him. Missionaries go go places in order to see people. Members see people in order to go places. Um, You can tell the language. Uh, Members talk about their last vacation, and they went to Hawaii. And I, this happens all the time. I've actually, since I think this way, I listen to the way people tell the stories. They go, people go to Hawaii on their vacation, and they they tell you all about Hawaii. They tell you about the weather. They tell you about the coconuts. They tell you about the luau. They tell you that they got in a helicopter and they flew over the volcano. They tell you about Waikiki. They don't tell you about anybody. Everybody who goes to Hawaii, they don't come back and say, hey, I led three people to Jesus. They don't do that. In fact, they don't go to, they don't, they're trying to get away from people. They're going to Hawaii. They want to see Hawaii. That's, that's not why missionaries go to Nepal. It's not why they go to Africa. It's not why they go to China. They go for the people, not for the sites. Members are, members are sightseers. They want to see the sights. Missionaries see people. And the great distinction here is being able to see people. Let me show it to you and how it happens. In verse 5, he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, stop right there, I don't have time to teach this. Do you notice this phrase? Jesus was tired. Do you ever think about Jesus being tired? Does it ever cross your mind? Jesus, Jesus was hungry. Jesus was tired. Jesus was sleepy. Jesus went through all the same stuff that you go through. It's, it's why he knows what you're going through. It's why he can identify with you. So he's tired, he's weary from the journey. He's sitting beside the well. It's about the sixth hour. The sixth hour is noon because the Hebrew clock starts at 6 a.m. So it's noon, it's the middle of the day. He's hot, he's tired, they've traveled all morning. A woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now verse eight tells us something. It says his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So here's what I want you to see. It'd be, it's kind of easy to miss. Um, the well, by the way, is, uh, so the city's kind of down in the valley, and then there's a kind of a, uh, kind of a, a hill. It's not a mountain by Rocky Mountain standards, but it's kind of a hill. And then the well is kind of up on top of that. So uh, they've stopped there, and Jesus has stopped at the well, and the disciples have walked down the hill into the city to buy food for lunch. They're going to go to McDonald's, and they're going to bring it back, all right? The woman is in the city, and she's walked out of the city up the hill to get water. The, 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 as you read this, the timing of it is pretty clear 
that the disciples walked past the woman and she walked past them as she walked up the hill. And they never saw her. She didn't cross their mind. They were hungry. They were talking amongst themselves. They didn't see her. So point number two, missionaries cross barriers in order to meet needs. We're going to talk about that, why Jesus came to Samaria. He's there for this very specific reason to meet this woman. And members only see those like themselves and prefer people who don't really need anything. Um, so w- one of the great conversations in church life is um, who goes to your church? And for the most part, in 99% of all churches everywhere, the people who go to that church are all the people who are like each other. They're like each other in color. They're like each other in the kind of cars they drive. They're like each other in socioeconomic class. They're like each other in education. And they just kind of, you know, and we just say, oh, well, birds of a feather flock together. But it runs a little deeper than that. And we can always see it in another place. It's very easy to see in another place. Uh, having a conversation with one of the pastors yesterday, and uh, we were talking about the number of uh, Hispanics that are moving into Montana now. And for the first time ever, we're starting to have Hispanic uh, population, including some that don't speak English, and so we're talking about what does that look like? Can we do we have a can we have a Spanish speaking Bible study? Betty, we're talking about those things, and uh, um, uh, and then one of them guys goes, he goes, well, man, like if if I was just a Spanish speaking guy and I moved here from Texas and I found out there was a Spanish speaking anything, I would go to it. And the guy goes, yeah, he goes, he goes, I heard uh, about this one church in Texas that had a Spanish-speaking Bible study. And then the other guy goes, why wouldn't every church in Texas have a Spanish-speaking Bible study? And for a Montanan, that's a really good question. But most of those churches are just white churches where they don't really want any Hispanics. Are you following? Uh, Once again, it's really easy to talk about people in other places. So I've been to speak at churches in Mississippi and wasn't a single black person in the whole church. Mississippi is full of black people. Mississippi might have more black people than white people. How can you have a whole church in, in a place where the population of blacks is greater than whites and not have any blacks? See, it doesn't make sense. But let's, let's talk about Montana because you're not Mississippians or Texans. And if you are, you saw the light and you moved here. So God bless you. You're... <laughs> so uh, we should have folks here on the west end of upwardly mobile buildings that don't look like us. We, we, sh- we should have some Native Americans and we should have some Hispanics and we should have some blacks. Now, understand in Montana, we're, we're literally like 92% white. So... But the point is, you see people. People have needs. Do you see the needs? Or like the disciples, do you just walk right by those needs? So now this conversation takes place. 
Uh, it's really a fun conversation. Uh, Jesus says in verse 7, give me a drink. In verse 9, the Samaritan woman says, how is it that you, a Jew, she knows exactly his ethnicity, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaritan. He's a He's a Jewish man. She's a Samaritan woman. They've got all these barriers between them, at least, at least those two. And, it, and then it tells us, John, is tell, he, we're, he knows we're going to read this story later, and you don't always have all the information. So in parentheses it says, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said, you don't have anything to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where where are you going to get living water? And then in a facetious kind of a mocking way, she says, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? And Jesus says, everyone who drinks from this well gets thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's incredible water. It's divine water. It's water from God. It's the water that satisfies a deep thirst. It's the water that gives you eternal life. And she appropriately says, I want this water in verse 15. I'd love to have this water and never be thirsty and come again. And so then Jesus says, okay, go call your husband. It doesn't flow, does it? It's water, it's divine water, it's wonderful water, you'll never be thirsty again, it's a beautiful flow, it's a wonderful illustration, it's a great allegory or metaphor, it's got all of that, go call your husband, doesn't fit. Why would Jesus stop and do that? Because, because in a world that we live in, third largest mission field in the world, you cannot just say, receive Jesus, if you just say receive Jesus and you'll have everlasting life, then a whole bunch of people will line up to receive Jesus because they don't know who the biblical Jesus is and they don't understand the paradigm of Scripture that repentance goes with that. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. I'm going to tell it again because this is where it bears repeating. Uh, so a guy that I know is coming to Montana to speak at a conference, a Christian speaker, and he's sitting next to a woman on the plane, and he strikes up a conversation with her. The conversation, he's able to have a gospel conversation about Christ and salvation and eternal life, very much like Jesus is having with this woman. And he says to the woman, would you like to receive Jesus? And she says, Yes. And so uh, she prays a prayer, and she asks Jesus to come into her life. And when she says, amen, they're sitting in these two seats on the airplane beside each other. She looks at the guy, and she goes, hey, can I ask Jesus to come into the, to the previous lives that I have lived as well? And he's just looking at her like, what? Well, uh, she believed in reincarnation. And so what she was willing to do that day was she was willing to just reach out and take this Jesus and absorb him into her her paradigm, her worldview. She's just going to add him to that. By the way, so there's a theological name for that. It's called syncretization. 
uh, it's, it's why you can go to Latin America and find people who are in the Catholic Church and do voodoo. And, and, they, and, and they've got them all mixed up together. So there's a whole bunch of people in the world today who think they've got Jesus, but they don't have the biblical Jesus. And they didn't get there by way of repentance where they said, I'm, I'm, I'm setting aside my previous worldview and I'm going to only completely with real repentance and faith, trust in Jesus. So Jesus knows this. She's got some sin issues. And so he says, go uh, get your husband and we'll include him in this. And the woman says, and I'm going to give this my own interpretation in verse 17. Uh, well, um, actually, actually, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, thanks for being honest. You're right when you don't say you have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with is not your husband. What you said is true. And then she says, I think you might be a prophet. (laughs) Uh, Here's number three on our list. Missionaries ask the hard questions of accountability. Missionaries ask hard questions questions of accountability members prefer the ease of superficiality you say how do you know if you're functioning like a missionary or a member a member says uh hey how about those red Sox? how about them that's members say hey it looks like it's going to snow today looks like we're going to have a bad winter and there's nothing wrong with that conversation as long as you realize that's not what the person you're talking to needs the most. And, and you just don't walk up to people that you don't know and poke them in the nose and then say, you need Jesus. That's not how that's determined. But there comes a place in a, in a relationship, there comes a place in conversations where you've got to cross over and do the harder thing. That's what Jesus does with her. He just wants her to know it's, this isn't a matter of just getting some water and never thirsting again. This is a life-changing, altering, belief system-altering event in this. And so they have this uh, conversation about worship, which we really, we really don't have the time to go back and forth with. Just to say that in verse 24, he says to her, God is a spirit. This is not about geography. It's not about Jerusalem or Sychar or Judea or Samaria. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And it brings us really to this point number four, and that is that missionaries see the spiritual truths of eternity. If if you are... If you have a missionary mindset, then you you can't help it. You can't help but watch the news through the filter of eternity. You can't help but talk to the Walmart cashier through the filter of eternity. You can't help but talk to your uh, uh, insurance agent through the filter of eternity. You can't help but, but, but do business and watch TV, and whether it's your entertainment or the conversation over the backyard fence, it, you can't help it. A missionary can't help it. The reason that you're in that place, the reason a missionary goes to that country is for eternal truth, not for ice cream. Now, ice cream there might be really good, but that's not why the missionary, the missionary doesn't leave your home and your family and your language and your culture to 
to chat about how, how pretty the Victorian falls are or how incredible the culture, the food is there. It's all about eternal truth. Members, on the other hand, are short-sighted and self-oriented. Members are more upset when they go to Walmart that Walmart has changed where the tomatoes are. Why would they do that to you? And so you you go to Walmart, they move the stuff, you're mad, you leave mad, and you forget that all those people that were there who were also mad about the tomatoes need Jesus and are going to hell. It's not about tomatoes. And the sad thing is members don't just do this at Walmart, they do it at their own church. Why, Why is the coffee hub here and why is it not there and why did they do this and why did the stage do that and why did we all have to meet together in one place? That really didn't suit me. That's the difference between missionaries and members. I'm, I'm out of time. This woman receives the Lord. And it says in verse 39 that many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. And her, part of her testimony was the hook line when she would get a chance to, she'd want to share her testimony. And so she said, he told me all that I ever did. People would say, he knew about your whole, he knew about my whole life. And so the last point here is that missionaries produce missionaries. It's a, it's a spiritual reproductive process. If you're a missionary and you lead someone to the Lord and you show them how you live for the Lord, then you will, you will reproduce missionaries. Missionaries produce missionaries. Members, those who have a church member-only mindset, slowly decrease into extinction. You've heard me say right now in America, a hundred churches will close this week. Do you know why those churches will close? Because the people who were members of that church only had a member mindset. That's the, they just had a member mindset. Uh, I'm out of time. Last, last illustration. I'm driving across the country. I'm in Missouri. It's a Sunday. It's my habit to try to be in church on a Sunday. I, I'm, looking at, uh, I'm looking at the clock. I've, I got this timed up. I hit a little bitty town in Missouri. I can't even remember the name of it. It's not a big place. Um, it's, big, it's, it's, it's so little that when I hit it, I literally I can see the steeple of a church. I zip and zag and two blocks, and I pull in, and sure enough, I hit this church, and it's a quarter to 11. So I have done it well. All my preachers kid upbringing it worked perfectly for me and I walk into the auditorium of the church and no one is in there but I am not worried because I'm a preacher's kid I understand that they're all in Sunday school or it's and I chose a Baptist church just so you know so I also know the rest of them are running late <laughs> so I go uh it, and it's uh, by the way it's a postcard church just so you know it's uh it's uh, it's a it's a white building white clapboard white steeple it's got uh one middle aisle that's bigger than the two slightly outside aisles and wood benches it's just 
like you dreamed of a little country church would be. I go, uh, I go halfway down the aisle, and I sit on the aisle in a wooden pew about halfway. So I'm not in the back. I'm not in the front, right about there. And I'm sitting there. Nobody else is in the room. Nobody's in the room, just me. I'm still not worried. I know church is going to start at 11. In just a little bit, I hear this. And just for a moment, it's kind of like a horror movie. You know? You think, what? It's like somebody chopping a body in the Sunday school room? What? It's chung. So, you know, after a little bit, you can't help it, right? You can't help. So I'm sitting there in the middle aisle. I just kind of cast a glance over my left shoulder. Coming down the middle aisle, it's a little old lady with a walker, and it goes like this. Chung. 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 Now, it's only, uh, it's only her and it's only me in the room. <coughs> Nobody else in the room. She's coming down the middle aisle. She comes right up to my pew. This is only two of us in the room. She walks up the last two steps. She looks at me and she says, you're sitting in my seat. I'm the only one in the room. I get up. I say, I'm so sorry. She sits down where I was sitting. I take one pew back and I sit down. Just like I knew what happened, uh, the room starts to fill up. Uh, people come in from Sunday school. They're hustling from 11. People come in late. Uh, they have some music. They have a prayers. There's a sermon. Uh, there's the last amen. And uh, it's over. And I turn and walk out. And I resume my journey that day. That woman was the only person who spoke to me. Now, it's a little church. It's, it's half of the number of people that are in this room. I am clearly a visitor. They all know each other. They all worship together every week. It's a tiny town. There's a new guy, good-looking guy. <laughs> Nobody said, hi, bye, how are you? Who are you? As I, as I continued my journey, I was thinking to myself, what if, I, what if I had known Jesus? What if, what if this day I had gotten up all the courage in me and I thought, I need something more to live by. I need something more to live for. And I went to that church looking for hope and eternity and salvation. I'm way past the time. There's a difference between missionaries and church members. And you live in the third largest mission field in the world. Let me pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that there was somebody in our lives who cared enough about us, who prayed for us and loved us, and there was a person who said, this is how you can have eternal life, and shared with us Jesus. 
pointed out our sin and said, that's why Jesus died. And we gave our lives to you. We thank you for those folks. And Father, we know folks who don't know you yet. And we, we won't be able to stand before you and say, well, I didn't even know somebody that was lost. We live in the third largest mission field in the world. And Father, I, I don't want to be a guy who just plays church. I don't want to be someone who just goes through church member motions. So Father, I pray, not just for myself, but my brothers and sisters in Christ here, for Emmanuel, that we would have a missionary mindset like our Savior in John chapter 4. Do this for us, for we pray in his name. Amen. Sorry for keeping you late. Have a great day. God bless you. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.